0: All right. Welcome to Breaking Free Podcast, a body, mind, spirit approach to mental health. I'm your host, Summer Sites, and I'm really excited today to have Brad Reedy. Am I saying that right, Brad?
1: You're saying it right.
0: Okay. Brad Reedy, PhD, and he has really been someone that I've been following um, in my own growth work as a therapist. And I know he does a lot of training of therapists and parents. um, And I'm just really excited to share with you some of the insights that I've gained with him and also just have him share with you directly and your book, Audacity to Be You, um, maybe you could give us that full title because I, I'm, I don't have the book in front of me, but I love that. Yeah. The last piece of it. What was that, Brad?
1: The Audacity to Be You. And the subtitle is Learning to Love Your Horrible, Rotten Self.
0: I mean, just love that.
1: Mm. I love mm-hmm.
0: that so much. Um, so thank you for being here today. Um, how, how long have you been doing work, Brad, as a therapist? Just so people get a sense of you.
1: You know, I, I, I finished my master's degree in, in 1996. And so i started practicing shortly you know right after that and then i went back during that time to get my phd we started a program a wilderness therapy program for adolescents and families in 1998 after working at one for a couple of years so 25 27 years somewhere around there um that's about how long i would i would say i was practicing therapy well
0: i think what i wanted the audience to get is a sense of the um just the level of skill. I mean, I think every therapist, it takes time in the cooker. It takes time right. doing this work to, to gain the, the artistry of it. It's a kind of an art form right. therapy, is, I always say. And um, I really do consider you a master therapist. So I'm really excited to learn from you. And this is really me geeking out. Just like, I feel like I would love to sit with your, I, I know you train therapists. I was like, you know what? I might sign up for one of those. Cause I do mm-hmm. think it's really beautiful um, to just get different perspectives on how to do our job better. Um, and so that just kind of brings me to this, this, the concepts that I gain from you, just this idea of doing our own self work, right? right? Me as a therapist doing my work, you as you talked a lot about how you did your own work and you're sharing your work um, as a therapist and as a person, as a parent in your books. Right. Uh, your authenticity was gorgeous to read. Um, mm. So thank you so much for that.
1: Thank so you. So Tell
0: me about the title me about this title that you picked.
1: Well, you know, it comes from two places. The The, the, the subtitle comes from something, um, maybe a more important question about my, my practice is, or an answer to the question is, I've been doing my own work for about 30 years as a client, and I've been with the current therapist that I have right now for 23 years. And so that's really where that second part comes from. It would be something that she would say that took me some time to fully grasp about what she meant when she would reference playfully my horrible, rotten self. And really she was referencing me, just who I am. And that sometimes I am I do well, sometimes I struggle, sometimes I'm kind and loving, sometimes I'm, I'm cruel and unkind. And it was only in the context of sitting with somebody who could sit with me in non-judgment of who I was, all of my struggles, all of my mistakes walking beside me, that then I began to love and embrace myself. And it was only then That i felt like i started to heal because when it was when there was judgment when there was right and wrong and good and bad to do all the time and i was concerned about that i couldn't really be honest with myself because that was a threat so the horrible rotten self learning to love it is learning to love who you are And it's really it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek subtitle to say it's not really a horrible rotten self it's just it's what our context our upbringing taught us was wrong or bad about us and so it's meant to kind of diffuse that energy and then the audacity of actually came from, I was I was watching a Broadway show a few years ago called Hades Town, won the, the Tony for the for the best musical, wonderful wonderful depiction of a uh, Greek myth, and as I was watching it, there was a scene where the hero was going back to find his lover, and the Fates, uh, started to whisper in his ear and basically said to him, who do you think you are, to be doing this? Who do you think you are to to have this kind of courage and to be taking this really heroic journey and it came to me i thought it is the audacity to be ourselves to take the risk for you to do a podcast for me to do a podcast to write what we write to to do what we do there's an audacity in saying that the big shift in the book is the shift from i say this very clearly the the big shift is the shift from trying to be right or good to trying to be who you are you don't get to be right anymore but you do get to be a self which is so much better so For me that's what the audacity is it's it's having the courage maybe maybe more uh said in a better way having uh the comfort to be who we are and express that so when we set a boundary with a spouse with a child with a friend and they come back at us with a debate or an argument we simply settle into this is my truth this is where i am this is what i need this is what i want for my life and and this is my boundary so that's kind of where it comes from two places
0: I love that. I think you're also getting at the concept of the difference between that true self and the layers right. of woundedness that like overlay that true self. I'm sure, you know, the kind of ego self versus true self concept right. Right. there. That's something I've definitely talked about on this podcast quite a bit with people. So I think that will be familiar to them as well, but that the true self is kind of the the pure self without the the, the injury, but we all have these wounded parts, right? If we look right. at an internal family systems concepts. We have these wounded parts that I love that voice. With that, um, I, I haven't seen that particular um, musical, but um, I see it a lot of mythology, right? This idea of right. people being uh, having all these kind of attacks on character, you know, all these right. kind of all these kind of uh, inner inner conflicts, right? That are played out through these through these uh, mythology figures, right. whatnot. So you're you're talking about this inner conflict that we have to try to show up as ourselves in systems right. that we live in. I'm hearing you right. And how difficult that really is based on our upbringing, right? Our stories of attachment, how we were raised. I wanted to bring up something that I thought was really interesting. I really loved how you started the book. Um, I, was that a therapist of yours that gave that intro or and talked about you?
1: It's actually my therapist. Right, right. I asked her. After 23 years, I figure you can you can ask your therapist to write an intro to your book, especially when she's written 25 books.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. So that was really beautiful. And I loved how she talked about, um, she was, it she or he I'm trying to remember. She, she was talking about, um, this difference between the father, the dominant father Mm -hmm. system. And I'm just trying to get in front of me and the nurture parent family. I thought that might be an interesting way to talk about your concept of how we're raised in two different soups. Right. 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 You know, she,
1: she refers to strict father families and the strict Mm -hmm. father families it's 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 a phrase from literature Mm -hmm. but really it refers to this this energy this way of being in families where the focus is about being right about getting it good about behaving well about doing the right things um and in those kinds of family the the best way to kind of simply grasp that energy and, and and sorry for for this the reference to this myth myth which i love which is star wars darth it's it's a darth vader energy it's like It will be about power and control and hierarchy versus the nurturing family which means that there's enough space there's enough capacity for the parent to provide an opportunity for the child to discover who they are so one energy is about getting it right being good uh, avoiding pain avoiding detours um, and that's going to be enforced by this this kind of strict behavioral reinforcement kind of mentality and the other one is a, a lot more about focusing on what the child needs and the messiness, as you know, I mean that that's part of what we learn right when we do our work that becoming who we are is a messy, messy process because it involves mistakes, it, it involves attempts that that flop, and it, it involves running into the same wall or dead end over and over again until we figure out who we are, what we need, um, what works for us, and so. It, it, she, she says it in, in more technical terms, but she's contrasting those two kinds of energies.
0: Yeah, it really reminds me of some of the work I've seen Brene Brown do, where she talks about perfectionism is how we protect the self, right? From, right. Um, I wrote this down for myself, just to avoid shame, blame, and judgment. And so I think in the strict family, where like there's that kind of, there's a perfect or a right way to do it, and you're trying to avoid the parents, maybe you're trying to avoid, you know, shame, blame, and judgment from their systems. the the child's trying to avoid that from their parents right so there's this dance between them that doesn't really allow anyone to I love that make a mistake right and we learn from making um I always say that one of my quotes is um there's no such thing as failure that's just learning and I think if we see it that way we can go ahead and go okay I'm just learning right these are just learning curves um but I, I know me personally, I'm a recovered perfectionist. That's my work that I did kind of grew up and I have to do things the right way. And I'm sure I right. internalized that to, to a fault. Um, it took me a really long time to allow myself to just be like, you know, even in a session with a client, that wasn't, that was, I'd be like, there was a terrible therapist, I'm a terrible therapist. Maybe I should just quit my job, you know, and right, I said, no, right. that was a fantastic session to show me my next growth edge. Like that showed me a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I need to go back in there and ask that client why that did not work for them. Right? Why that did not feel comfortable for them? What can I do better to meet them where they're at? And some of my best growth with clients has come from that. Just being really to honor. That didn't work out well. I didn't feel it. You didn't feel it. (laughs) Like what happened right there, right?
1: You know, when you make friends with your horrible, rotten self, or in other words, when you make friends with your authentic or your real self, um, it's easy to befriend the real self and others when they show up, right? When a client shows up... I'm going to tell you something you might edit this out of the podcast because it will sound insane on its surface but i was doing a training last week and one of the therapists that i was training we were talking about self-care about what that is and and what gets in the way and he said what about people that try self-care like with cocaine what if that's their version of self-care and i said obviously that has a tremendous amount of pitfalls and, and problems with it but it, as a therapist, it is, as an attachment-based therapist, you would say to somebody, I guess you could try that and see if it works. And just that response lowers the nervous system response, right? The client is now not on edge. They're they're starting to feel that it's not about you directing them, that it's about you following them or walking beside them. And that that response of maybe you want to try that will we'll relax them to the extent that they'll get in touch with the ridiculousness of that. you know that road that they might travel so there is a a kind of way of being with clients that requires us to have like you've talked about done our own work because if we haven't we're going to follow into that that line of thinking about there's a right way to do it i know what it is and it's my job to direct you in that path and when you when you were able summer to talk about with your client about apologizing i can't think of anything more valuable for a client to experience but the authority figure making a mistake Apologizing from a place of strength and love, offering uh, that to the client and allowing the client to 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 say, "This is what I would like better." You can try again. I'll give you another chance if you're, you're trying. I think that's a beautiful to me. One of the signs of an what I call an adequate therapist, which others would call a master therapist. One of the signs of an adequate therapist is the ability to say you're sorry, to apologize, to make mistakes, and not make it about the client when something goes a little bit sideways.
0: Yeah, I love that. And you know, I didn't. I, it felt validating in the book. So I've been a therapist for about 13 years, and I, I still have moments where, I'm like, am I doing any good here? You know, how right. did this today? You know, is this skillful enough? And I loved how you brought out in the book that no matter no matter number of skills are going to help us if we're not using them to, um, you know, really be in the art of developing the self, right? To really right. come forward, tell our truth, um, be a truthful, authentic person with our clients. And that's one thing uh, I try to do, you know, be authentic. This Mm -hmm. is where I'm struggling as a human. Can you relate? And I do feel like at times that can be, you know, you can usurp the room. It can be too much about you for sure as a therapist. But, um, but I do think that those types of experiences have allowed my clients, like you said, that it lowers, wait, you're a real human. You're allowing yourself to show weakness. Then I can do the same with you. And I've seen that over and over again. Right. And I, I knew how to do it because I just did it from my heart, you know, I just put right. my heart out there. So that's so interesting. Um, well, let's talk about, cause I think, you know, not some of my listeners, may be therapists, but I think they're going to be looking for, well, how does this really help me? I'm not maybe seeing clients. Um, maybe it'll help them get a sense of what kind of therapist. So maybe we could sum that up, mm-hmm. but would you say you were asking them or telling them, you know, what kind of therapist to look for? I mean, you're, I really think a pretty master therapist, what, what would you suggest would be helpful for them to look for in a therapist?
1: I would, I would suggest, first of all, that they choose a therapist who has done their own work and can freely reference that. They don't have to tell you all about it, every intricate aspect of their work, but that they've, they, they've gone into the dark cave first. They've gone into the forest first and explored and found out what was in there and sorted it out some and that that they not see therapy as a a problem solving or a crisis but rather as a place to go to rediscover yourself over and over again i i think the test this this is this is so i i learned this from somebody else and it's so profound on so many levels that the test about whether or not you have a, a an adequate therapist a good enough therapist a master therapist is tell them when something bothers you tell them when you're upset or when you feel hurt And again, if they can say, I'm sorry, and more important than anything, celebrate the fact that a client would tell the authority figure how they felt at the risk that the exact same thing was going to happen to them that happened to them when they were younger, which is typically what happens when we confront authority figures is they tell us how we're wrong. They tell us how we misunderstood it, how we're misinterpreting it, how it's our depression or our catastrophic thinking or whatever it is that's getting in the way. And so when a therapist can say, I'm so sorry, I'm so glad that you told me. Thank you for telling me. I'll try to do better. I'll try to show up for you in the way that you need. Then you know you have an adequate one when they defend themselves. Theoretically, when they defend themselves by, by, by explaining how you misinterpreted or got it wrong, then you know you have an inadequate therapist who hasn't done their work, who hasn't come to terms with who they are, because they're still playing the game of who's right, who's on top, who's got the 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 who's got the most smarts in the room and that person is still struggling. They might be skilled, they may be well read, they might have lots of letters behind their name, lots of certifications, but they haven't made friends with themselves and therefore they don't know how to encourage somebody to become who they are, which I think is the main task in therapy, which is becoming who you are, becoming your most authentic genuine self, which which then gives you access all the creativity and all the love, all the compassion, all the joy that's available to us.
0: Mm, I love that. It makes me think I just watched the movie about, um, I can't remember the title of it, about Jane Goodall, you know, going Mm. in and and, and she was selected because I was watching on a plane ride recently, but she was selected because she didn't actually have any skills, right? Like they didn't want somebody who had preconceived notions about, you know, how to do scientific research. They just wanted to go and and be with the, the gorillas, you know, be with them and and she did and then she right. came back from that passion right from that connection to these animals taught things that no one had ever taught been taught in the field at the time mm-hmm. and I do you think that there's these powerful stories of people going in what you what you talk about just with curiosity and presence and just mm-hmm. like I just want to know and understand who you are what you're about that teaches so much more I think than uh, any set theory that we would come with
1: one of my favorite uh, quotes that you what you're saying inspires in me to, to, to share is one thing that Carl Jung said, Carl Jung said, and I'll, I'll paraphrase it just a bit. But he said, familiarize yourself with all the theories, all the, the tools, but in the end, just be one human soul touching another human soul. Mm-hmm. Skill building is helpful. Theories are helpful. It gives us perspective and breadth and depth and ways to talk about and understand people. But what it comes down to is a human being like ramdas says we're all walking each other home and if i can sit beside you and 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 walk you home it almost brings tears to my eyes um something about that there's a quote from my therapist most recent books that, that, that is the second quote that was inspired by what you said she said safety is not the precursor to treatment safety is the treatment in yeah. other words if we can create a reparative experience with our clients where it's okay to be them, their messy, flawed human self, they start to realize they're okay. And like Fred Rogers and Carl Rogers taught, the great paradox is, it's only when we accept ourselves can we change. And so there's, it, it's very different than what we were taught and what we think, even what therapists are, are trained to do. It's a very different process because, like you've alluded to a couple of times and you, you and I talked about before we started, it's a way of being with the client that changes them. It's not what you do or, or the certain sentences or the skills that you practice. It's how you feel about them, how you think about them that changes them. And if we, if we think about them with love and compassion and openness, that gives them the safety to explore all of themselves, including the wounds and their symptoms that they developed to, to cover up those wounds.
0: Yes, I think this is a perfect segue into what you talked about with parenting. So, Brad has two books. The first one is The Heroic Parent. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Is there a title in there I'm missing? I haven't read this one.
1: The title of the first one is The Journey of the Heroic Parent. Um, The subtitle is not as important, but The Journey of the Heroic Parent refers to that. People ask me all the time, What does that mean? I don't want to be, I have a lot of parents that say, I don't want to be a heroic parent. I just want to be a good enough parent. and what I say is, it's kind of the same thing. A heroic parent, this is, it's just this simple a heroic husband, a heroic wife, a heroic friend, a heroic person, uh, borrowing on Joseph Campbell's idea about mythology and storytelling, where the hero discovers who they are. A heroic person is a person who's willing to look at themselves, who's willing to look at what's my contribution to. The problems in my life, to the problems of my marriage, to the problems with my son or my daughter child. You know, in a person who's willing to look at themselves and to say, maybe I have some contribution to this dance, even my own unhappiness. One of the the things that the hero discovers is that it's not the circumstances in their life that are causing their unhappiness, it's the way that they're living their life that is the source of their pain and their torment. So a heroic parent or a heroic person is somebody. Who will do their own work, which means that they'll walk into a support group, they'll walk into a therapist's office, they'll pick up a self-help book, they'll listen to a self-help podcast and begin to consider their contribution to, to their, their joy or their misery in life. And that that's a rare thing, that's a hard thing to do because we want the problem to be out there. We want it to be in the other. We want it to be that the child is difficult or that the world is difficult. And what we learn about psychology is that's not really the the key. But all the myth, all the mystics agree on one thing. I read this from somebody else recently, and I can't remember who. All the mystics agree with one thing, and what they agree on is all is well. It's okay, and you can find peace in the present moment. And the opposite of a hero would be somebody who thinks. If I can change the other, like you said, if I can change the cir- circumstances, if I can stop global warming, if I can stop conflict in our political system, or if I can stop my child from cutting or using drugs, then I'll be happy. And that makes the whole world and most most tragically, your child responsible for your happiness. and that's a that's a helpless, powerless way to live
0: and love the the concepts that you brought up in the book too, that's so much pressure. I think. I'll, I'll be vulnerable here too. I think one of the reasons why I, you know, my own heroic parent journey was um, my, I have three kids. My oldest mm-hmm. is 18 I have a 15 year old and I have a 10 year old. So they're kind of in those ages. And mm-hmm. I noticed when my, my oldest was hitting about 15, you know, the openness of the conversation going further and further away. Right. And mm-hmm. um, and just more reactions to um the performances that he perceived we desired from him. Right? right, that, right. And so um, my first response to that was to become very threatened by that. You know, I'll right. be honest, like to, re- to be kind of like, wait a minute, you know, is what does this mean about me? Right? Because I was told stories about parenting that it was my job, I, I like my parents had a belief that I've now abandoned or changed for myself, but that, you know, the quality of a parent is determined by how their sh- children turn out, right? Sure. But there's just some pressure on these kids to turn out in a specific way is to validate my existence as a parent.
1: Yeah. right?
0: And I, um, that was hard to look at how much pressure I was putting on my child
1: that way. I mean, I think it's the universal wound. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's referred to as the narcissistic wound and it's universal. And my uh, my favorite book, I think the most important book that's ever been written about about people actually but I would say children is the drama of the gifted child by, by Alice Miller. Mm. And she describes what you just described. She describes the wound that happens when the child realizes what the parent needs and will give up their authentic self to give it to the parent, or will feel guilt and shame because they're not doing that for the parent. And that will look symptomatic that will develop in symptoms. Another thing that, that I thought of when you said that as a mother in your own journey is you know, when, when 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 somebody's anger, resentment, frustration, client or child is a threat to our ego because we haven't sorted it out, then we need to make them wrong. We can't. We can't be bad. I can't be a bad dad. You can't be a bad mom. We both can't be bad therapists. That's one of the other keys to finding a good therapist is find a good, find a therapist that doesn't try to be good. Find a parent that doesn't try to be good. I did a podcast that's one of our most listened to, episode 409, I believe called uh challenging the the notion of what it means to be a good parent and it's this idea that a a good enough parent is one that that doesn't need to be quote unquote good and therefore when the child is upset the parent is okay with it because it doesn't threaten them because they've made peace with their horrible rotten self they realize that they're sometimes a buffoon sometimes an idiot sometimes passing down generational traumas that they're unaware of sometimes unhealed and so that that share that you just gave was a really good illustration of once you sort your stuff out then there's space for your child to be who he is which is in this small instance mad at you for the way you raised him if you need to be good then that will be a threat to you and you'll have to find a way to make it about him
0: so i mean I, that was actually kind of how it went i mean yeah. just like i remember in even years later you know just kind of over time as that safety happens, more things come out. And we had another conversation where he was really letting me know that this, the level of betrayal, right? That he had felt right. by, how did you not see I was hurting? How did you not understand? And why didn't you protect me, right? The types of things that parents really right. want to do. And, and I just had to be like, uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't know it, but I was doing it. But at the same time, I did let that happen to you. That was your experience. Like that is, right. you know, and I'm really sorry. You know, right. and and just like be with that, and not try to run from it. And that was the biggest change agent. Was like, I'm not going to try to run from this. I mean, because you know, we were therapists, right? We're supposed to get it right. We're supposed to, you know, right. there was this, like, how come I could go to school for this long and do this much work and yet mess up my own kid, right? Like, it's just so overwhelming at first to even look at that. But then at the same time, um, we had a moment where I just remember us standing in laundry rooms. He's heading out to go to school. You know, he's now in college, but. Um, I said, hey, if this is what failure looks like, son, I'm all in. Yeah. Because we have this moment, this knowing, like tears were in my eyes, because it was like, because I don't feel that we're a failure. Like, maybe the system says that's what we're supposed to be. I break up with the system. Look at us. We're having yes. a beautiful conversation. We're having intimate connection. I love and accept you as you are. You love and accept me as my horrible, rotten self as I am. And we're just on this journey together. And that's where we are today, having really beautiful conversations and authenticity which we did not have in the teen years because I hadn't done my work like I just was really not open to that type of uh, vulnerability I think I was like you need to perform right. that's what I'm doing and that's what you need to do <laughs> right? right so you pass that along um so I share that because I know I'm not different than most parents I mean that's what I constantly yeah. see yeah I'm, they're afraid if they don't perform um their kids don't perform what will that mean about their who they are, their character, their nature. Um, you know, spirituality plays out here for people. What will that mean for the, the salvation of their soul? You know, there's things that play in that are really big for people here. Um, but in the end, it, it divorces from the most important thing, which I think is unconditional love that I really right. wanted to talk about with you. Because I think that's something that you do so well in your therapeutic approach um, is help encourage this truly loving space I, I can't remember how you call it, but um, see if I, I can find it really quick. But you talk about, you know, there's different versions of love, like the capacity to love from self-awareness. I think I've right. just wrote this down. Arrive's at kindness and a supportive energy for the other is what I heard you say. And I thought that was so true because we can call something love. That's not love at all. Yeah. What do you, so we, maybe we, often, little-
1: we, we often, the worst part, I think of all of it, and then I'll I'll, I'll get to the, the main point is that we call fear love all the time. Right. Parents will do things and say it's because I love you, and what I will help them unravel is you do love the child, and that's part that's in there. But right now you're scared, and you start teaching a child that fear and love are the same thing. Um, that's going to confuse them about the, the the fundamental elements in the universe. Uh, love and fear are kind of the 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 two primary energies right and so um i think we do a lot you know, I, I i wrote i've written about this a lot where parents will say i would do anything for my child i would walk across cut glass and do anything for them and um and i've had to point out to them, that's just not possible you're not you're not a saint you're not perfect you're human you're going to fail and that's what they need they need a fallible parent who can own their fallibility not a good parent they need somebody who has the capacity born out of what you and I are calling doing your own work to be human so that when I make a mistake, which I do, you know, every parent dents their children, you cannot not dent your children. And the, the real, the, where, where the rubber meets the road, where the real challenge is, is it's after you make a mistake. Can you go to the child and say, I'm sorry, wanting nothing in return, including forgiveness. Can you offer that from a place of strength and say, I screwed up. I understand why you're angry or hurt you might not trust me right away, and I'm okay with that. And I just need you to know that I that was me, that was my fault. That was my bad. And then the child people always wonder, well, I want to teach my child accountability. There's no more powerful way to teach accountability than modeling what it means to be a person which is a fallible, imperfect, limited, wounded, scared at times, um, challenged at times human being. And that's really, in, in my mind, when we're raising kids, when we're thinking about raising kids, we're trying to raise people we're trying to raise them to be a person and a person is all the above messy beautiful and crazy and everything in between
0: i love that and i I, it reminds me of my play therapy training where i would say to the parents it's more important what you do after what you did than what you did
1: yeah yeah that's good yeah just
0: sit there and oh yeah you messed up okay so what are you going to do about it you know how are you going to show them it's okay to do forgiveness work or yeah it's okay to make mistakes like that's actually more important than that you got it right in quotation
1: marks yeah you know you you talked also about how i talk about it being a love being a capacity thing yeah that's kind of the main point Uh, i think people talk about love as a feeling like as a Mm -hmm. as like this 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 i have this really strong affinity and affection for you for my child for for my friend for my spouse and they think of that as love but as you and i know people that have those kinds of strong emotions for people hurt them in in, in profound ways, sometimes chronically, sometimes without ever repairing. So if, if love can be present when somebody's abusing somebody, it has very little value. Then, then it means nothing. What, what I talk about, quoting the Gandhi's quote about how love is a capacity, if love is about my ability to hold space for you, which is a kind of a fancy way of saying, be patient, be curious, um, be non-judgmental, um, be understanding. Like Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers, he's the best that we ever saw. Yeah. If it's about capacity, then love is really, really valuable. If it's about feelings, everybody listening to your podcast can think of real or imagined situations where people say and feel love towards somebody else, but they're still very cruel. And then love has no value whatsoever. It's just It's probably more something like obsession or control than it is love. I think love is about a willingness to do your own work. And Lamont said, the greatest gift that we can give to our children is our own work. Ram Dass said, the only thing I can do for you is work on me. The only thing you can do for me is work on yourself. It's all in there, right? We can only develop more capacity, more patience. And no matter who you are, no matter how much work you've done, there are gonna be moments during the day when you are limited, your capacity is limited, you're tired. You're, you're stretched thin, you don't have anything left to give. That's the moment we have to own that. We have to say, I can't listen. I can't do this right now. I need a timeout. I need a break. I need to rest. I need to meditate, whatever it is that you do to recharge. And then and owning that is very vulnerable because then it means that you're the one who's limited in that moment. But if you can own it, if you have the courage to own it because you've done the work, you take care of yourself, over here, over there, and then you come back to the child with the ability to then be there for what they need, or even your spouse. If your spouse is upregulated and stressed, you go take care of yourself. And you, sh- we, we, we want to learn to show up to the relationships that matter to us, not hungry. We want to, we want to sh- show up f- f- with a full tummy, so to speak, emotionally and spiritually. And every one of us is gonna, we're gonna be hungry sometimes, and so that just speaks to our need to, to, to go back to our practice whatever your practice is.
0: And I love how these are self practices because I, I, one of the things I loved is that you talked about how intimacy, again, just let you guys got to read this book, but intimacy is two whole selves, right? Two, yeah. two And not whole like perfected selves. Like I think a lot of people think of whole as perfected, right? But complete means all the pieces, right? All the parts are welcome, right? Like right. part of myself is yeah. The overtired, overstressed parent. Part of myself is the patient, maybe right. skillful parent. Right. I think, I'm all those things. I, and I, I think we can't expect our partners and people in a relationship to not be all those things. But we do, right? We, accept, we expect people to be complete, and, and not complete, to to perform in ways that are really unrealistic for them to be able to do because right. they're all new And then we're upset when they're not meeting our expectations, right? Right, right.
1: I think
0: that's a real common one um, in marital work that I see. Right.
1: You know, I always say to parents, First of all, when I talk about parenting, I'm talking about human beings. That's, that's one thing that I, I need to say, because people think I'm a parenting educator. And while I am that, it's really I'm talking about you as a child, me yeah. as a child, all of us as children. And I, I, I explain to parents that children don't need you to be perfect. If they do, they're doomed. <laughs> what they needed you to do is to own your stuff. But because owning our stuff is so hard, because we were taught that we should be good and have the answers, we don't own it, we, 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 in fact, we disown it, and we project it onto the child and say, my child has the problem, my spouse has the problem, my friend has the problem. And so when we are coming up short, which everybody is, you just talked about several examples where you do, we do. When we come up short, the key is the ability to own it and to say, my bad, I screwed up, I was impatient, I snapped at you. Um, I was stressed out and I didn't I shouldn't have even allowed myself to get into that discussion because I wasn't ready for it. And I did it because I thought I I thought I should or I thought it was the right thing to do or a good dad or a good husband does that. But that kind of the way of what was real, which was I was I was in an empty belly. I I was I was tired from the day I'd spent all day working or taking care of the children or whatever it was, and I didn't have anything to give and therefore it went sideways and I tried to make it about you that you were too needy or too this or too that but really it was me and my problem and that's the big shift right is owning it then means I also have the power to work on it if the problem is out there I'll work my entire life trying to change the world but when I realize that the problem and the solution are in here I'm free then there's something that I have some power over that I can make my project and work on for the rest of my life
0: for me, that's the powerful shift from that that shift from the victim to the co-creator, right? That yeah. you can do. I love that. So there is this self-deception, I think that you're bringing up, and I think self-deception deception really comes from a place for people. I think one of the things we haven't really talked about that you talked about these two soups, and I want to bring them out because I think that people are going to see themselves in these two soups, mm-hmm. and maybe you can talk about them, right? Because I I read the soups, and I actually was. I got off, you know, from listening to your book one night and I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel like this guy's describing me. I'm so excited to interview him because Mm -hmm. one of those soups was absolutely the soup I was cooked in. Right. And, and then the work began, right. Because I noticed that and recognized that, that, that way of relating to the world that I came by naturally, right. It was just how I was conditioned to be. I think that self-compassion came in and it allowed me to go, okay, now I can work out of this. I think that's where people are, you know, they don't We don't ever mean to hurt our children. We don't mean to live through them, make them perform for us, but Mm -hmm. we do. And I think it comes from these soups. So can you describe the two soups to the uh, listening audience? So maybe they can find themselves in this.
1: The two soups are, are, are basically raising a child to be a good something or other. there's There's a right way to be, you know, being a good student, being a good citizen, being a good athlete, being a good artist, being a good, whatever, you know, that's one soup that there, that there is a right way to live. And that my job is to shape you and guide you up into that thing that's a soup so the child walks around thinking the answers outside of them somebody else knows what it is somebody else is going to tell them what it is and they're not really in touch with their whole self because they're, they're there's parts of their self have to be repressed or diminished or ignored or split off for them to fit into this idea of somebody else's so the soup of being a a, a good person is one way of thinking about being raised the other soup is is the soup of who you are is the is the goal who you are um this is a radical example of that other kind of soup that i aspire to and people think it's crazy at first eventually they they kind of come to it i try to have no opinion about um my children and what they do i'm gonna have boundaries i have boundaries and i have a self and i'm gonna you know, the way you treat me, the way you treat my things, that's going to be my boundaries that I enforce. But in terms of how you're living your life, that's your business. That's, you get to figure that out. You get to figure out who you are in this life. And it's not my job to figure that out for you. It's your, you have that job. And so in that people, people get confused because they think that this other soup is laissez-faire, that Mm -hmm. it's, that it's, that it has no boundaries. People that, that are operating in this other kind of soup, that the, the soup of self, that's um there's more boundaries there's there's better boundaries there's clearer boundaries the people that are trying to cook their children in, in, in the other kind of soup the good and bad soup there's a lot of manipulation there's a lack of boundaries there's dishonesty there's there's hidden agendas and so it's the difference between being good and being a self really and most of us were raised to be good because that made it easier for our parents and our teachers and those around us to deal with us that we fit into what they could hold and it takes a great deal of, it's exhausting to raise children in this second way that we're describing, which is, I'll, I'll figure out what my boundaries are, what I'm okay and not okay with as a, a mother, father, parent, but um, it's your life. I, even my daughter was struggling with some mental health issues recently. She's a young teenager. And I sat her down and I said, here's the here's the boundary with this issue. And I said, I just stopped and I said, I can't fix this in you. You're playing around with 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 food and with body image and um therapy can help you there are people that can help you but at the end of the day if you think you're doing something to me it's not my life i'm going to be gone eventually and you're going to have to live out the the legacy of, of these these initial behaviors and practices which could eventually overtake you and it's your life and then i walked away i had clear boundaries i told her what the consequence for for what she was dealing with was was but there was an energy like it's not my life it's like when bob dylan my favorite example is when bob dylan was asked about his son jacob's rise to the top of the music charts they said are you proud of your son jacob for you know getting to the top of the music charts and and having all the success and bob said it's irrelevant to me mm-hmm. it makes no difference to me whether he's successful as a musician or not that's that's not what i value in him whatever it is that he wants you know he didn't go on to say all this he just actually Was kind of rude to the reporter he said it doesn't matter to me it's irrelevant but what he was saying is it's jacob's life it's not my life and i don't know what it's going to be my job is to figure out how to support him to live his life and that's that's the second soup that's the soup of self that's the soup of raising children to be who they are instead of what we think they should be Mm. sorry Um, that's kind of long-winded but that's that's
0: these are important Things to look at because I think that concept of I call it shooting on ourselves. Right? right when we shoot on ourselves, we are full of shame, and shame is a hiding energy. We hide things from yeah. ourselves, hide things from others. If I had a dollar for every time a youth had sat in front of me and just told me flat out, "I learned to lie," right? I learned to, I learned to lie. The only way I could survive my family is to lie, and and that's and I'm just going to keep lying until I leave this house because that's the only thing I can do. And so they hadn't even begun to learn who they were, hadn't even begun to develop the character that the parents thought maybe they were developing because they were just, I'm just lying, yeah, you right. know. And I think, well, let's create a space where, you know, we may not love their truth because it might challenge our way of being in the world or what who we think we are, right? But at least it's an honest beginning of where
1: right.
0: one is, right? It's true intimacy, as you said, right? right. Two honest coming together. Um, and I think that's difficult for those of us who've never been raised to be authentic and yep. don't even, you know, we have to do our own authenticity work so that we can have authentic relationships. I love how you, you, you drew a, a picture of that, right? It starts with you doing your work so that you can then connect to another. Right. And, and I think that's true because so often it's like, okay, I want to have a beautiful relationship with my spouse. I'm like, well, what does your relationship with your yourself look like? Right. Because it's built out of that, right? If you don't love yourself, you don't know yourself, you're truthfully yourself, you don't even you can't be in a relationship with another person yet. You don't even yeah. know who you are.
1: Somebody asked me a long time ago, they said you talk a lot about differentiation, about about mm-hmm. selfhood and, and when are you going to talk about connection and intimacy? And I I said the, the two are inextricably inextricably connected because the ability to be intimate is just basically the ability to be yourself in a relationship. And to allow the other person to be who they are. That's Mm. the most simple way of describing intimacy. And if you don't know who you are, and it's about putting out this false self and impressing people and and, um, being good, and it's about all those things, intimacy is not, not available to you. And anything that the other person does or says that threatens that idea that you're supposed to be or that good image that you're aspiring to be will be a threat to you and you'll end up fighting. And what most couples are fighting about is uh, about kind of the, the, the intrinsic human right to be okay. And they're fighting about who's right and who's wrong and who's good and who's bad. And it's because both individuals haven't done the work that they need to, to sort themselves out and and, and not engage anybody in that kind of nonsensical, um, unsolvable dilemma.
0: I love the term you picked evoke therapy. And of course I was curious for a while what does that term mean? Until you finally addressed it, but you know, but maybe you could tell people you you picked this term because because why? What was the reason for evoke therapy? That's a, and that for those listening, evoke therapy was is your therapeutic um, is that the term you use for your your wilderness group or is that your practice your clinical practice?
1: We uh, evoke term? therapy programs consists of a wilderness therapy program for okay. for adolescents and young adults, and also a an intensive program for individuals in midway utah for individuals couples and families so it's it's it's, mm-hmm. it's all of our our programs the idea of evoke again partly drawing on the work of joseph campbell um was this idea that my job is to pull out of you what is what you already know to be true a lot mm-hmm. of times when i'm teaching somewhere i'll say something and somebody's like i haven't heard that before but i know that that's true that makes sense and so part of what I see as our role, your role, my role, the therapist's role, is to help, to help the client discover the truths that have been lost through conditioning, through trauma, through, through, through mistreatment um, in their life. And so it's more about pulling out of you, your most authentic self, than it is imposing on you my idea about what it means to be a person or what you should do. You should pursue this degree or divorce or marry this person. I don't know what you should do because it's not even my i don't even have access to that information i want to be safe see we're not in my opinion we're not experts on somebody else's truth we're experts on creating a context where somebody can discover their truth for themselves and that means we create safety and then the person can experiment with who they are and that's the only way really to discover who you are is by experimentation
0: Yes. And one thing I often think of in, in context of systems, whether they be family systems, religious systems, is that we get this safety upside down. So I want your opinion on this. We we have these like fearful kind of boundaries mm-hmm. that are set because we want quote unquote the person to be safe, right? So they can they can grow and, and differentiate eventually, I guess. Right. Yeah. Um, and yet those very It makes me think of little nemo right i love the line like well nemo's nothing's ever going to happen to him if he can't leave you know can't leave the anemone right right, and go on the journey and i think that that's what happens for people is they get um i i see adults you know i'm sure you do as well that i'm like wow i think you're still stuck in a like a 15 year old state right where you're still asking permission from the proverbial Mm -hmm. parent to listen to your heart and go on the journey. And you're so afraid to get it wrong because you're afraid that you're going to be abandoned, rejected, right? Whatever, right. Whatever the system is, whether it be your extended family, whether it be your religious system, like you're so afraid of like really hearing your own self. You've turned that voice off because you need more, you know, the love and acceptance from this outside thing. Then you need to, then, you, you know, you've betrayed yourself, right. You've self-deceived. Right. And I think in that place, I see the most, uh, anxiety and depression generally yeah, what do you think yeah. those yeah that, that kind of place that people live in
1: you know my my it's, it'll sound a little bit like a detour but my favorite story to illustrate what you're saying is come from a book that my son gave me my son's an artist um hmm. he gave me a book called art and fear and there's a story in there for, by the authors they one of them taught um ceramics at a, at a college level and at the beginning of a semester he he split the the class in two and said on on, on this half of the class On the left side, you're going to be graded at the end of the semester on the amount of finished work that you do. We'll just put it on a scale, he said. We'll weigh it, and you'll be graded on on that. On this side, on the right side of the class, you're going to be graded on one project and one project only. And then he asked the question, at the end of the semester, where do you think the great art came from? The left side of the class where they were graded on, on, on mass, or the right side where they were graded on one project? And he said, by far every semester it was always uh, from the students who just created whatever because there was no pressure you were allowed to make mistakes you were allowed to experiment i'm sure some of that stuff on the scale was garbage but some of it was a masterpiece but these people over here that were under the pressure of being graded of getting it right they were limited their creativity was was stymied because you can't fear and creativity don't mix fear and authenticity don't mix fear and uh, fear is it, it's not it's not um it, it's a signal to us but if we live from a place of fear we we, we lose access to all the important stuff like create uh, renee brown talks about creativity and spontaneity and and you have to do battle with fear that's why we go to Al-Anon. that's why we go to meetings when our child or our loved one is struggling so that we take care of the fear in that meeting so when we show up with our child who's struggling with substance abuse disorder or a spouse who's struggling with the same we can be there for them because our fear has been managed somewhere else so it's really about learning to cope with to own and to grapple uh, with our own fear so that we can be available to people in the ways that like you say that kind of supports them to where they need to go and figure themselves out it's really hard it's really hard to be your authentic self in the face of threat i mean that that's the thing that prevents the authentic self as the nervous system puts up walls and barriers and prevents us from getting hurt. And we lose access to all of our deepest, most authentic truths in that place.
0: Yeah. And I do think that we all need a place to surrender our fear, like you said, just to right. go and get out, work through it. I my, I my kids would often see me. I've done some podcasts on this and they're like, what are you doing, mom? And I'm like, I'd be sitting on the couch with tears rolling down my face because I'm an empathic human and I feel deeply and I'd be like, I'm just feeling my feelings. And, I but I let not see that. I'm like, I'm just feeling my feelings right now. I'm like, why? I'm like, cause I need to do that. Yeah. I got some stuff and I would let them know it was okay to feel their feelings. Right. And when I'm ready, maybe I'll share, maybe I won't, but these are my feelings and I'm feeling them. I didn't make them responsible. Hey, you made me feel this, right? right? Like these are my feelings, but I think that uh, we are so afraid to feel and see ourselves and be present with ourselves and have yeah. compassion in ourselves that creates Almost all my clients, when I see the turning point, I wonder if you see the same as when they finally just allow themselves enough self-compassion to just start feeling their own feelings and exploring them and letting it be okay wherever they're at. Right. And from there, they can go, okay, now I'd like to do something different with this, but right. it, it doesn't start until they, um, yeah, I'm really angry, right? I'm right, truly, right. actually angry, and it's okay to be angry, or I'm really disappointed, or I'm I feel like a failure, whatever it is they're feeling, they just be honest about that. Somebody. Right. Um, so you do wilderness programs and some people have heard this. I tell me about that. Tell me about that work. What does that look like for, I mean, you're getting very, I'm assuming kids that are really, really struggling. Their parents are like, I don't know what else to do. Let's send them to the wilderness. (laughs) That's how I see it. I don't know if that's right.
1: No, I mean, that's, that's, they've tried other things. They've tried outpatient Mm -hmm. therapy. They have tried everything that the self-help books that they've come across have told them and the child is still struggling. You know, this child is refusing to go to school at all at 14 years of age or is self-harming or is is displaying um, risky behavior, substance abuse, um, and there's nothing that seems to be impacting them. And so wilderness therapy is this, you know, sometimes a very common thing is, is computer and screen addiction. Mm-hmm. Wilderness therapy is a fantastic. Other countries use it systemically for screen addictions for children in some Asian countries. So it's about taking kids outside, taking away the electronics, putting them in small groups of eight or nine with three or four staff who stay there for eight days, by the way, in a row without leaving, um, and and kind of creating a microcosm for their life. The natural Mm -hmm. environment teaches us all that we need to to, to learn about our lives. You don't have to rely on the child's self-disclosure to realize that he's dealing with delay of gratification because you see it. Or when somebody comes in and says, I've worked the 12 steps and i've i've accepted what i can't control you can say to them because of the struggle you saw them having earlier with the wind or the snow or the bugs or the other group members you can say i know you've memorized the the idea of letting go but i don't see it i still see you struggling with it There's, there's no judgment but i don't think you're quite as far along it's not integrated as much as you think so it's really just about taking the lessons of life and turning the volume up in a very natural environment, it's 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 saying that in the 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 struggle to um, work as a group to kind of hike and, and move from place to place, all the lessons, all the challenges will will come up, and it does. And then, most importantly, I have to say this: while the then the child is safe and being attended to and, and treated by traditional therapies, then the parents are are in, introduced into a, a really robust curriculum of attachment-based therapy, of what it means to be a self, of what what parenting skills and tools are are complementary toward, to, towards those tasks, of powerful and, and often invitation to look at themselves, to go to their own intensive work, to go to an Al-Anon meeting. We ask them to go to six of those, to try a therapist, to listen to the podcast, to read some books, to see if we can shift the, the dynamic to where everybody in the family sees that they have work to do that. This is a mm-hmm. systemic issue that is being, that is being amplified by, by one person, by the identified patient. But that person is just speaking to the fact that the system has something missing or something broken or something that needs attention. And so while it is a program for, for teens and, and young adults, it really is a family family program. We bring families out to the field every week. We have family programming. That is like I said, comprehensive and robust. And in that place, we really do see, see parents doing a, a kind of work that they're not willing to do and one of the great things about the hero's journey that we learn is that we often um, we go looking for the thing, you know the Holy Grail, whatever it is. King Arthur's Knights were looking for the Grail and we often don't find the thing that we initially set out for the hero doesn't, but what they find is themselves. you know Rocky, the movie Rocky, 1978, I believe it was. That's a perfect yeah. hero's journey because Rocky lost the fight. But by the end, you could feel that he was more complete. He could be in a relationship. He was more emotionally available to himself and to others. He had fallen in love with his with his with his eventual wife and his his trainer and himself. And you saw him transformed. And that's what we come. It's so funny that at the end of that movie he lost, but we come out of it being inspired because what the heroic journey shows us and what the wilderness shows us is that that the the challenge, the, the real quest is to find who we are and to be that person in the world. And the thing that we were searching for in the case of the parents that we work with, they're, they're looking for a cure for their child's problems, but really the ones who benefit from it are the ones who come out with different ears and different eyes and a different heart. The people that are that, that allow themselves to be changed as parents are the ones who will tell you that it's the greatest program in the world, regardless of what level of progress their child achieved or accomplished, which is absolutely beautiful to watch
0: it sounds like they gave up the they gave up the the need for an outcome yeah right? they did from the outcome i that's one of the things i often see too for myself right is if, if i can let go of the need for an outcome and just be yeah you know that i'm just here with you right now right we're just right. present with each other like that's the presence is what really heals so that's beautiful but if someone's wanting to i'm mean, kind of drawing to the end here but they're parent, they're like, you know, I don't know what, who myself is. I don't, I don't know that I've brought myself to parenting or accepted the self that is my child, because I'm so fearful that maybe that self will be something that will challenge me in ways I'm not ready to deal with. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that was, my work was just to be like, I don't know, but is there another choice? I mean, that is who my child is, right? That is where they are. Right. That is who I am. So I think you just allow it to be what it is, but what, what would you suggest to them? Like, where can they get started? I love that you gave some ideas. They can kind of look at attachment theories and books, but you know, maybe just some practical advice. Cause I know you've done this work and I've done this work, What what helped you?
1: Well, first of all, listen to your podcast, subscribe to it. If you're not sub- subscribed already mm-hmm. and listen to you talk about it because you're modeling it for them. My podcast is called finding you an evoke therapy podcast. So you can go to any podcast platform and subscribe there going to Al-Anon or codependence anonymous meetings are, are a great intro into how many of us are wounded. The books that I've written, uh, the, Journey of the, Ro- the Journey of the Heroic Parent or The Audacity You um, are fine places to start. Therapy is a p- great place to start. My answer is whatever direction feels right to you, whatever, the, the, the smallest step of listening to one podcast. I often say to people, listen to the first 10 minutes of any podcast of mine, of any of the 460 episodes that I have. And, and if something doesn't grab you, then turn it off and never listen to it again. You've only lost 10 minutes. So any step I would say is a good step. The, 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 the goal is a complete immersion into your own work, but I don't think a lot of people even know what that looks like or feels like or where to go. And so I would say take any small step, any self-help book that we've talked about or, or podcast that we've talked about or even meeting that we've talked about, whatever feels most comfortable to you and see if something catches See if something, if light, some light starts to come through the clouds, and then just keep going in that direction.
0: One of my favorite quotes is, "If the student is ready, the teacher shows up," and that has always been the case for me. Yeah. Like you, I, I really was listening to your book. I just was having a conversation the night before I started re- reading your book for this interview today, and I was telling him how um, we were talking about forgiveness work. But I was telling him how the work that you don't, you know, the work that you do is what you were able to, you know, it was I actually flipped it. The work that you don't do is what you pass on to your children. That's what I told right, him. I said, right, that's I, nice. And I said, I, I, would, yeah. I do my work partly because there's things that I want to, you know, change right for the next generation. I said, you're my oldest. So, you know, you forced, you got me to do some work I hadn't yet seen yet. You were a mirror back to me, the work I needed to do. And then I looked at him, I said, forgive me for the things I didn't know. Cause I didn't know them. but, it, yeah. but that's the point, right. Is that when I recognize I didn't know him. I went out and tried to learn them, and right. and he went and stepped back and he's like, "Wow, that's really it." I was like, "Yeah, like we're all just seeking greater and greater transformation and consciousness, right? We're all that's just right. seeking to become more awake." And I said, "You got to forgive people that are less awake. You know, they they're they're just not awake to it yet. But right. if you are, then you can see it, and that's beautiful, right? And you'll find somebody who's awake at your level and <laughs> where you're at in the journey, and
1: right.
0: it, it'll come to you. It I, I think it's a beautiful." a testament to, I don't know what you feel about that. There is a divine kind of guide. There is some force, what, what, whether people believe that, that kind of wants us to grow, like you said, go home, come uh-huh. back home and, and find ourselves home. So any last comments that you that you would share? I, I I just love your book. I, I recommend it to all. I really do think that um, you're really nailing attachment um, in a way that hasn't been said. Um, just my comments, like I feel like So often we want to have like quick fix tools, and you're really saying, do the work, you know, develop the self. um, And then you're giving some really practical examples of what that looks like. So it's really beautiful.
1: I think the last thing I would say is if somebody's listening to this right now, most likely they've listened to this entire podcast. So they've tolerated us for, for the amount of time that this podcast is rolling. And so I would say to you, you're already doing it, like you're doing the work, and just keep it up and surround yourself with people who make you feel make you feel most alive and most um safe and most loved and 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 follow you call it the divine it's that 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 part of us that knows that when we feel it when we see it we know that it's it fits with with who we are and just if somebody's listening now the only thing i would add was just keep doing it you're already doing it and 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 i i this is how i end my podcast all the time because it fits with this is is you know thank you listener for doing the work for and on behalf of all the people that that you love and that love you because this is the gift that you give to them is your own healing
0: amen to that it's beautiful <laughs> thank you so much for being on this uh brad and i look forward to uh, reading your first book and maybe maybe we'll have you back i <laughs> love to thanks right. Summer. i appreciate it right good thank you so much we'll talk to you soon
1: bye-bye